bit chilly in here right now. Yeah, it's kind of cold outside. I kind of need another layer. Taylor, can you help me out? Oh, oh, what's, what's this? Oh, look at that. Wow. I'm not actually gonna put this on. This is purely for show because Mike used to do this at the start of every spring semester, conspicuously reveal Bill's football gear. Uh, but this is totally gonna mess up the mic and my husband is the sound guy and so for his sake, I'm not gonna put it on. But just imagine that I'm repping. You did, okay. I hope this isn't a stumbling block for you Chief fans, but we're not a stumbling block. The Bears are really bad. I've dreamed of this moment for over a year, actually, being able to put on a jersey. Okay. Uh, welcome. It's, it's a joy to see you. You may, have, you may have noticed today is a little bit different than normal. There's maybe some elements that aren't here that are normally here. Uh, I'm going to pray and sort of settle myself down, and, and let's, let's all come before the Lord and ask him to speak his truth to us. Um, Father... We, we come and acknowledge that you are God, that we are not. We acknowledge your power and your sovereignty. And we acknowledge not only that, that you are the giver of all life, but also that you are good, that you know each one of us individually and you care deeply about us, that you want to meet us in the space where we are, and you want to invite us into life through your Son. I just pray that this morning, wherever we're at, whatever is on our minds, whatever we're carrying into this room, that you would meet us here and help us to, to attune to you and your presence with us, that you would attune us to your word, God. I pray that anything I might say that is unhelpful or not of you, that people would forget it, that it would fall away, but anything that is of you, that is your word, would be sticky and would remain and would worm its way into our minds and hearts because your words bring life and your word accomplishes your purpose. So thank you for that, Lord. We love you and we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. So we are in the third week of a series we started a hot second ago, on the Ten Commandments with this very sweet survivor theming. Uh, and because it's been a few days since the last time we picked up this series, in November, I think, uh, I wanted to give you a brief recap of where we're at in the series. So we find the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. When Exodus opens, we see the Israelite people have been slaves in Egypt for generations their bodies have belonged to someone else who decided what they did, when they slept, how they lived, whether their children would live or die. They were totally under the control of someone else. But then God sent Moses to announce to the Israelites that God has heard their cries. God cares for them. And so he is going to bring them out from the thumb of Pharaoh. And God does it performing a spectacular series of judgments that embarrass the gods of their Egyptian oppressors. The Israelite people march out of Egypt, and the army sent after them is miraculously drowned. They're free. But in that moment of freedom, there's danger. History and psychology tell us how easy it is for people, after escaping an abusive situation, to fall right back into the patterns they've learned from their oppressors. 
And these are people who've lived their entire life with no boundaries, as slaves. And they didn't know a lot about God or what he was like. You don't just jump out of that into flourishing. It takes time and it takes boundaries and training to learn how to live as free people. I'm learning this right now as I'm going through training to be a foster parent. Um, When you're trying to care for a child who's experienced trauma, one of the most loving things you can do is set healthy limits for them. And it's not about punishing or controlling them, but helping them discover a space where they can make choices in a safe environment, build resilience, and hopefully learn to trust. People who have been through trauma need boundaries to grow into freedom. And so God brings the Israelites to a mountain in the wilderness of Sinai, and there, as their first charter for living, he gives them the Ten Commandments. These commands reveal what God is like to them, and they also teach them how to live as free people. And that's important. The Ten Commandments are not an arbitrary set of rules designed to keep people in line like the games in Survivor. These are boundaries given by a good God to help his people discover how to live in relationship with him. And while a lot of the law that was given at Sinai no longer applies to us, these Ten Commandments have been massively influential throughout history, and most streams of Christianity would say that they remain a morally binding set of boundaries for how God intends us to flourish. So last year, last year, wow, Mike walked us through the first three of the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments involve our exclusive loyalty to God. If we worship anything other than God, that thing will enslave and destroy us. And then the third command is about reverence for God, recognizing the beauty and holiness of God's name and treating it with respect. So today, that brings us to commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And depending on your background, maybe the tradition you've come from, this fourth command might seem a little weird. Have you ever really thought about it in the context of the Ten Commandments? Uh, If we had a screen, I would have put up all ten of them so you could kind of see it in context. But if you look at them together, the first three, okay, about worship, that kind of makes sense. And the last six, they kind of sound like Ethics 101. Don't murder, don't lie, don't steal. Has anyone ever heard, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy in Ethics 101? How does this fit in with all of these other boundaries? Maybe you've even heard that in the New Testament, Jesus abolished Sabbath, along with other pieces of the the ritual code, or that Jesus disregarded a lot of the Sabbath regulations in his time. But if you look at the Gospels, Jesus actually speaks very positively of the Sabbath. In fact, he calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. And I have become convinced in the last six months that God still calls us to the practice of Sabbath. In fact, that that I need it. Not to be saved, no, that's only through Jesus, but to live as free people instead of falling into the oppressive patterns of the world that we live in. I have to confess that I, Sabbath is not, was not a regular practice in my life for most of my life. I started it 
five months ago when I found out that I was going to be teaching on this command. So I, I want to be, I totally confess that to you. But as I've had the chance to practice it, I've discovered that I need this boundary in my life. That I want this gracious boundary to help me learn how to receive and extend God's goodness in a broken world. And I believe that God intends for the church as a community, when we practice Sabbath, to give the, the world a picture of what God's goodness looks like. And so, um, I want to spend the rest of our time trying to answer one question. How does the Sabbath help us, followers of Jesus specifically, live as free people today? How does the Sabbath help followers of Jesus live as free people in today's world? And I want to offer two ways that this boundary is training me to live in freedom. First, it helps me and us live as a people of hope in a world that is often despairing. And second, Sabbath can train us to live as people of love in a world that is so anxious. The Sabbath teaches us to, to see God's goodness and live in hope in that when everything around us is broken and our best efforts feel futile. And the Sabbath helps us to love people instead of using them in a world where we are beset by the anxious urge to do and acquire more at the expense of others. And my prayer this morning is that if you're a follower of Jesus, God will stir your heart and you will want to follow his invitation to have this boundary of Sabbath in your life and experience his goodness in that way. So, with that, uh, let's get into it. First, I should probably explain what Sabbath is. Um, what does it mean to keep the Sabbath? It's kind of a weird word. Uh, to talk about what Sabbath is, we should look at it in, in the context of the Ten Commands. So if you want to flip your phone to Exodus 20, we're going to look at the Sabbath command together. I'll give you a second. We'll start in verse 8. I'm having flashbacks. I'm a college teacher in my day job, and I'm having flashbacks to my students on Zoom, like finding the passage. Um, okay, ready? Good. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, so from this we see we work six days a week but we take one day out of seven as Sabbath. Uh, that word Sabbath comes from the verb, pardon my pronunciation, Shabbat. Uh, and that verb Shabbat can mean a lot of different things. It can mean to stop. It can mean to rest. It can mean to delight. It can mean to worship. And I think that full range of meaning applies to what Sabbath is. Sabbath is a day when we stop working, we rest, we delight, and we worship. 
these four different elements of Sabbath will look different for different people. For me, resting feels like running a 5K. For some of you, that does not sound restful. Um, But this is the basic idea of Sabbath. One day out of seven to stop working, to rest and fill up our souls, to delight in good things God has given us, and to worship God, responding to his goodness with our attention and gratitude. That's Sabbath. But if we dig deeper into this command in Exodus 20, we can see even more why this command matters so much, why it's such a good boundary. Um, And I want to first highlight there's something kind of weird about the phrasing. If you look back at verse 8, I'm guessing most of your versions will say, remember the Sabbath. Is that what you've got? Yeah, remember. That's a weird word to use. In English, we remember facts. We remember historical events, memories. But in this language, Hebrew remembers a much more dynamic word. It's living in the present reality based on a past truth. Remembering here is the difference between remembering the date of the Battle of Hastings. Does anyone know the date of the Battle of... Oh my goodness, I should have given... Yeah, 1066. Uh, So remembering is the difference between remembering the date of the Battle of Hastings and remembering your anniversary by taking your partner out for dinner and buying them flowers and telling them what you love about them. Remembering the Sabbath is less like going, okay, that's right, this day on my calendar is a day off, and more like choosing to live into the present one day out of seven based on this reality of Sabbath that is woven into the fabric of the universe. And that begs the question, what is this reality that prompts us to live differently one day of the week? What is the Battle of Hastings here? We find the answer to that question in verse 11. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The reality that we live into on Sabbath is creation. God brings everything into existence, and then on the seventh day he rests. Now as a kid, I thought God resting meant God was taking a nap. I remember drawing pictures of this as a kid, like God with his head on a rock as a pillow, napping. Um, But rest here is so different from that. I want to read you a quote by a guy named John Walton, who's an expert in ancient Near Eastern culture. Uh, Here's how John Walton describes what rest means in this case. He says, In the ancient world, rest is what results when a crisis has been resolved or when stability has been achieved, when things have settled down. Consequently, normal routines can be established and enjoyed. Rest happens when a crisis has been resolved and you settle down. At the start of Genesis, there's a crisis. The world is in chaos. It's formless, it's dark. But then God sets it into beautiful motion. He divides light and dark. He he separates waters, brings out dry land, makes the heavenly lights. I had an image of a galaxy that I wish you could see because it captures some of the wonder of this power. Then God brings life onto the scene. Plants, animals, fish, birds of every kind. And the crowning glory of creation, humans. 
who would be God's image and agents to care for his world. Then, after six days of work, with all as it should be, God settles down in the throne room of the universe. A new stability has been achieved, and God is presiding over a world where life can flourish, where everyone will receive what they need. That's when God rests. And in resting after bringing beauty out of chaos, God made that period of Sabbath rest special, set apart. That's what the word holy means in verse 8. So six days we work as God's images and agents, but on the seventh holy day, we rest to live into the reality that God is the good creator who keeps the universe going whether we work or not. And that idea sounds really beautiful to me. But if I'm honest, and maybe if you're honest, it's hard to feel like God is a good creator when life sometimes feels like one crisis after another for me. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, on my Sabbath, I lost my wallet, kind of an important thing in my house broke, I had a difficult conversation, I ran several unplanned errands to deal with some of those things, and topped it all off with a late night Zoom call to help out a friend who was in crisis. I did not feel good on that Sabbath. And the truth is the world is not the way it was in Genesis 1 because that good world was so quickly distorted by sin. As from the very beginning, humans have sought to be our own gods. We have attempted to storm the control room of the universe and in so doing, we broke the world. And the effects of the sinful choices of humans have compounded over generations into the systemic brokenness that we see and feel today. But God would not rest again until that crisis was resolved. And so we see all the way back in Genesis, God unleashes a rescue plan to respond to our sin that culminates with God himself stepping into creation in the person of Jesus. Jesus in his ministry, he goes around healing what's broken. He restores life to the beauty and harmony of creation. And he ruffles some feathers by doing that on the Sabbath day. Uh, one story that illustrates Jesus doing this is in Luke chapter 13. Uh, you can flip there if you want to, but you don't have to. I'll paraphrase the story for you. Uh, Jesus is teaching on, in the synagogue, which is kind of like a, a religious assembly, and he sees a woman who has been bent over for 18 years. And so he heals her. And the synagogue leader, the worship leader, is miffed. He tells everyone, come on, there are six other days where you can get healed. Don't do it today. This is the Sabbath. This is special. Because in the time of Jesus, well-intentioned leaders had put a lot of boundaries and safeguards around the Sabbath to make sure nobody broke the rules and worked accidentally. But in that, they had restricted so many things that the good meaning of Sabbath had gotten obscured. And so Jesus responded to the miffed worship leader in this way. He said, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? Ought not this woman, 
a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So Jesus' response was not to say, oh, the Sabbath doesn't matter anymore. Jesus underscored just how much Sabbath matters. Wasn't it exactly the day to set someone free? And and that's a microcosm of Jesus' mission to resolve the crisis caused by our sin. Through his life and his atoning death and his resurrection, Jesus defeats the forces of sin and death that have broken the world. And then he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, resting in the control room of the universe, sealing the assurance that one day all will be set right. And he issues an invitation to all people to follow him as Lord and experience the rest that he has won. Those who come to him receive forgiveness and he begins to restore and heal and loosen the effects of sin in our own hearts and lives. And so for his followers today to remember the Sabbath is to take one day off in seven to live into the reality that Jesus is victorious, that he has resolved the crisis of sin, and that one day this will be fully experienced by all creation. I need that reminder. I don't know about you, but I'm so tempted to fall back on the pattern of the first humans and think that I am in control, that the crises in my life are up to me to resolve. Is there a crisis in your life that you're trying to to solve right now? Is there a burden that you're feeling that you feel like it's all up to you? Maybe you're struggling to achieve a certain life path, a job, or a relationship that you think will give you security. Or maybe the crisis you feel is the weight of someone else's pain. There's someone around you who's hurting, and you just feel like you need to save them. Maybe there's something broken around you or in you that you feel like, I've just got to figure this out. Maybe you just feel the weight of the world. But what crisis are you feeling today? I think when we feel that, we can feel like everything is up to us. I go into two different modes here when I feel the weight of the crisis. I can go into fixer mode and just anxiously try to take care of everything. Andy knows this mode really well. I can, I can act responsible for emotions and problems that are definitely not mine. Or, and this is maybe my, my default these days, I can go into despair. I can say, well, if it's all up to me, we're toast. And I protect myself by assuming that things will never get better. Remember that Sabbath that I told you a couple, about a couple of weeks ago where everything went wrong? Um, I started that day by going into fixer mode. I got this. We can deal with this but I very quickly moved into despair. And in between the errands I was running, I just remember sitting in my car, crying, saying, God, this was supposed to be a day of rest. And in that moment, 
God brought to my mind the resurrection of Jesus. And he said, Kate, it's still Sabbath. And it won't be this way forever because Jesus is alive. All the things were still broken. (laughs) But in that moment of pause in my car, it was like the curtain rolled back and I saw the throne room of the universe where Jesus sat at God's right hand and I knew, I knew that things would be okay. Not because of me, but because of God's work. My day was still chaotic, but in that moment, I remembered the Sabbath. And I felt rest in the chaos. And God is extending that invitation to all followers of Jesus to find rest in our chaos by practicing Sabbath. Confessing the good news in the midst of our crises that Jesus is alive and in control. Now, as God's images, we are called to work for good, so it's not saying we passively do nothing in the face of the evil in the world. But Sabbath is an invitation to rest one day out of seven as a declaration of hope because the victory of Jesus doesn't depend on our work and he is big enough for the crises that are keeping you up at night. And this is the first way that I mentioned at the beginning that Sabbath is teaching me how to live as a free person. It helps me practice hope and receive God's goodness to me in a world that sometimes feels so full of despair. When we rest, we choose to live by faith that God is still creator, still good, still taking care of us in the chaos. And it gives us strength to work the other six days of the week knowing that God will use our labors and weave them into his work to restore all things. So that's the the first reason I mentioned at the beginning. There's a second reason, though, that I found Sabbath to be such a good boundary in my life. And that is that it helps me and us live as people of love in a world that is full of anxiety. Uh, We see this in Deuteronomy, which is the other place where the Ten Commandments appear. So if you want to flip to Deuteronomy 5, We're going to take a look at the Sabbath command here. As you're flipping, I will give you a free fun fact. There are two versions of the Ten Commandments in the Bible, just like there are two versions of all Taylor Swift albums. Um, They're like, they're the same, but yeah, two versions. So Deuteronomy is very similar to the phrasing in Exodus, but just like a Taylor's version track, it has a couple of significant differences. Uh, So that's why we're looking at this one. Okay, are you there? Deuteronomy 5. We're starting in verse 12. Okay, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. (gasps) that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Did you see the really big difference? Oh, I'm getting some nods. That's great. So the Exodus version said, keep the Sabbath holy because God is creator. The Deuteronomy version points to the Exodus instead. So it gives a different reason, a different reality. 
One possible reason why it's different here is that in Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to a new generation of Israelites who hadn't experienced slavery firsthand. They didn't fully feel the weight of what it meant to be freed from slavery. The old generation in Exodus, they didn't need to be reminded of Egypt. They knew it in their bones. They remembered what it felt like to collapse from exhaustion every day after working to the bone, only to get up and do it again every day until they died. They remembered how Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had called them lazy, kept increasing their work quota, tried to squeeze every drop out of them. But you know what's interesting? If you read the book of Exodus, you see that Pharaoh is uh, what one scholar calls an endlessly anxious presence. On the one hand, Pharaoh is a god in Egypt. He has total control, but it's never enough for Pharaoh. He feels threatened by the Israelites, by their size, by any free time they have. He's so anxious that he always wants more, and because of it, Pharaoh makes their lives terrible. But God is not that kind of God. And so God brings his people out never again to be slaves. But there's a danger, as we've said, that these free people will repeat the system of their past. Maybe the Israelites will force others to work to meet their needs. Maybe they'll become their own little pharaohs, anxiously demanding more from people. And so in Deuteronomy, God again gives them the boundary of one day in seven is rest to remind them that they do not belong to the gods of Egypt who anxiously took everything from them. They're the people of the good God who gives everything to his people. I hope none of us is is physically enslaved, Um, but the spirit of Pharaoh lives on when we feel like we have to do or get or be something I have felt the spirit of Pharaoh in academia. Uh, For 10 years, I worked in the grind of graduate school to get my PhD. Uh, Grad school told me that I wanted the one in a million job of being a college professor. I needed to give everything to it or I wouldn't get it. And so I constantly worried about whether I was wasting my summers or my free time I wondered if being involved in a church put me at a disadvantage because my peers who weren't going to church had more time to network and research. I did take breaks sometimes, but in that time, I developed a habit of overcommitting myself, which still haunts me to this day. And I developed a fear that if I don't get everything done, if I don't do it well enough, everything is going to unravel around me. And just like anxious Pharaoh oppressed his slaves, I know I'm reactive to people when I live out of that fear. I snap when one more thing gets added to my plate. I don't feel the freedom to slow down and notice and care for people around me. Or I just see people as tools to meet my needs. In that space, I'm out of sync with the love of Jesus. And so when I started practicing Sabbath five months ago, because I had to for this message, it was hard. I felt so anxious on that day off, like I needed to do something productive 
And I'll be honest, at first I was waiting for some kind of magic to happen in me where um, I'd have a Sabbath that would be really great and I'd get some kind of payoff that would get me ahead spiritually. I wanted to use Sabbath to meet my goals. And Sabbath doesn't magically like flip a switch or something. But I am coming to see and believe that God is using Sabbath to work something much slower and more beautiful in me. I am learning week by week that I will be okay if I don't answer every text right away or use all my free time to get stuff done. I am learning how to say no to sometimes good things in order to say yes to something better. Which if you've known me my whole life, that is a miracle. And the rest I experience on Sabbath is actually bleeding into how I respond the other six days of the week helping me to feel freedom to step off the treadmill of productivity to notice and be more patient with people around me. So taking Sabbath has not magically made my anxiety disappear, but it is helping me live by faith as a free person, no matter what I may feel in the moment. And that boundary of Sabbath rest isn't just meant to help us as individuals, it's meant to have a ripple effect on us as a community when we practice it together. You can actually see that in the wording of the Deuteronomy passage where it says uh, nobody works on the Sabbath. Not you, but also not your employees, not your family, not your animals. Everybody gets to rest. When we feel like we have to produce, when we feel the spirit of Pharaoh, we will use other people or treat them as obstacles and annoyances. But when we rest together by practicing Sabbath, we are freed to see and love and enjoy one another's presence. And so I think in a profound way, Sabbath helps us live as a community, as a people free from the spirit of Pharaoh by training us to slow down and be with one another in love. Before I move on, I want to ask, where do you feel the spirit of Pharaoh in your life? Where do you feel like you have to do or get or be Maybe other people have put expectations on you, family or or cultural expectations or your friends. Maybe your pharaoh is social media, telling you that you need certain experiences or a certain lifestyle, and you won't get them unless you work nonstop for them. In this space, God is inviting you into the freedom of Sabbath rest for your sake and for others too, to discover that you don't need those things. If you're a follower of Jesus, you belong to God, and he will give you all that you need. So as we move towards closing, I want to review. We've seen two reasons why Sabbath is so important for followers of Jesus. It helps us live as people of hope in a broken and despairing world, and it forms us into people of love instead of anxiety who use people to meet our own needs. It teaches us to enter into and receive God's goodness And it helps us love people in a world that's trying to take everything from us. So I want to briefly end with a couple of suggestions for what Sabbath could look like in your life. If, like me five months ago, this is really new to you. How do we step into this blessing? I want to acknowledge, Sabbath might feel tricky for college students. You have kind of unusual schedules a lot of times. 
And I want to acknowledge, maybe your class and work schedule doesn't allow you a full day off. Um, God does not condemn you. You're, that is okay. You're saved because of Jesus, not because of Sabbath observance. Um, I would suggest take off what you have. Maybe you have a morning or an afternoon or most of a day, and you've got like a little work shift. I would encourage you to, to set that aside now as a boundary of Sabbath rest to experience the gifts that God wants to give you in that time. And then when God does give you the circumstances to get a full day off, take it. It is a gift. But then if you've got that time set aside to be distinct Sabbath time, what could it look like to experience that as holy? Like I said, I don't want to be prescriptive because not everyone loves running a 5K like I do. Um, but I want to give you just a couple of questions to help you think through what, might, what could look different for you on that day based on that framework at the beginning of stop, rest, delight, worship. So that first word was stop. On the Sabbath, where is God inviting you to trust him enough to take a break from something for one day? Um, what do you feel like you have to do that he's inviting you to be free from for a day? If your identity is in your academics like mine was, it might be setting down homework for a day. Maybe, and this is, the, this is the area where he's working on me right now, it's trusting him enough not to use social media for a day and be bombarded by messages to do and experience and acquire more. Again, what God might be inviting you to stop in faith may vary, but where is God inviting you to trust him enough to stop doing one thing one day a week to experience his freedom. Okay, so the second word in our, our four words here is rest. What helps you rest and recharge? You don't have to over-spiritualize this. How many of you like naps? There is a venerable, historical tradition of the Sabbath nap. You can nap on the Sabbath, and that is good. Um, but, but what helps you really rest and recharge? Is it going for a walk in nature? Is it cooking? Um... I invite you to incorporate that into your Sabbath. Okay, the third word, so stop, rest, delight. What activities help you enjoy the good things God has given you? God is good. Sabbath is not, we just sit here and we like think about Jesus and we try to feel. Sabbath is a day of delight in creation because God is a good creator. Maybe you love going out there and hiking. Wear a lot of layers if you do that today. Um, maybe you love cooking. Maybe you love hanging out with people. Get all your friends together. Uh, maybe you love making music or putting on your favorite vinyl. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if people do vinyl anymore. But what activities could you incorporate into your Sabbath that help you delight in God's goodness? And then, then the fourth word: stop, rest, delight, worship. What practices help you connect and respond to the good God who is inviting you to rest? Does worship music help you connect to God? Is it journaling? Is it prayer walks? Is it a conversation with a spiritual mentor or friend? Um, what activity of worship could you incorporate into your Sabbath? Maybe you weave it into the other activities. You're, you're cooking and you're just, oh Lord, thank you for the opportunity to bake these cookies and then to eat these cookies and then to take my Sabbath nap. Um, but, but bring worship in. Because again, this is all pointing us to the good God who gives everything to us. So I want to I wanna finally say, again, this message is mostly targeted to followers of Jesus. Um, because the full meaning of Sabbath doesn't make sense if, 
if you haven't experienced his lordship and his, if you haven't chosen to follow him in his victory. If you don't know Jesus, there are studies on the health benefits of taking one day off in seven. Like, taking like, I don't know, Sabbath light. You could, you could get some benefit from that, but, but it would be a deep tragedy if you had the benefits of a day off and you missed the full life of being in relationship with God, being restored as his image. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus today, Jesus is calling out to you, inviting you into an exodus from the land of sin and death, from the things that want to control you, into a relationship with the God who is creator and restorer. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to invite you to come and be free today. Trust Christ. We're, we're going to transition now into a time of communion, so if the band wants to come up. Uh, communion is another practice where we remember and rest in the victory of God. When we take the communion elements, we remember that Jesus has dealt with the crisis of our sin through the sacrifice of his body and blood on the cross. And so followers of Jesus, when you take those elements, you are remembering that you don't have to go out there and earn forgiveness or victory for yourself. God gives it to you. You just receive it. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I encourage you in a moment to go back and take these elements and rest in the love of God that is freely given to you. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, um, communion is intended for, for Christians, so if, if Jesus is not your thing, we would just ask you not to take the elements right now. But I would encourage you, oh, there's a deeper rest waiting for you if you'll come and receive it in Jesus. We're going to have prayer team people standing on the side, so if there's something you want to talk to people about or you want prayer for, um, during the next song, you're welcome to, to go and talk to them. Um, but otherwise, we're going to move into a time of worship and communion and experience God's rest afresh in this new way. So I'm going to pray to move us into that time. Father, I'm just struck by your goodness. I, by the fact that I have been so stressed out this morning with technology and different things and lighting up all of the, the ducks. And, and you've just been here giving your love, offering rest being so gracious to us. I just pray that we would experience your rest over the next few songs, that we would take the invitation that you're giving to us to, to come to Jesus, to receive what he gives. It's in, it's in his name that we want to glorify today in these next few songs. It's his name that we want to carry into the world in our lives. And it's his name that we pray these things. Amen.